All right, for those of you who are new and don't know me, my name is Morgan, and uh, I am a graduate student here at APU and uh, working, hopefully, to become a pastor. And so um, I'm thankful for John to uh, let me speak. Um, so let me go ahead and just start us off by reading the text. Um, this has a great connection with where we've just been in, in uh, chapter 11, where he discusses rest for the weary. And so we're going to study two Sabbath controversies. And the Sabbath, obviously, is the day of rest. So that's kind of the connection that Matthew uses. So let me go ahead and read, and we'll go from there. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So that is our main text. Now what I want to do before we get going into it, I'm going to break them in because there's basically two stories there, as you can tell. Um, what I first want to do is backtrack and give you just a little bit about the Sabbath. Because I think in our contemporary uh, Christianity, we don't practice the Sabbath very much. So it's at least worth looking at a few Old Testament scriptures that I have up here, and we can discuss them real quickly. So let me go ahead and read Exodus 20, 8 through 11. So it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God speaks this to Moses. Um, this is, if you know where this is in Scripture, this is the Ten Commandments, and this is the Fourth Commandment. So the first point about the Sabbath is that it's extremely integral to the Jewish life. Uh, it's not just one. There are 613 Old Testament commands, and, and they're all important, obviously. But obviously, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, are extremely important. So my point with this is that the Sabbath is at the center of what it means to be a Jew. Um, there are three distinctive practices, the Sabbath, circumcision, and dietary restrictions. And those three, above all the other, qualify and, and give a, sort of an outward, um, an outward appearance of what it means and, or an outward extension of what it means to be in the Jewish faith. What does the, like, the word Sabbath actually mean? Um, it comes from uh, Shabbat. Um, I think it literally means to rest, like in the Hebrew, like rest or um, that, that sort of meaning. So it's a, it's a very literal translation, basically. 
And so another part about this passage is the reasoning for it, which is God rested, so you should rest. And that's essentially, uh, it focuses on the covenant. This is how the people of God could respond to God's initiative to love them and, and to, bring them, to choose them out of slavery and to bless them with the Sabbath. Another is Exodus 31, 12 through 17. So then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a, as a lasting covenant. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. So now you have even a more explicit statement of what the Sabbath means and the punishments. Obviously, we look at that and say, wow, they were cut off from their people or they're killed. Um, that that's how big and important this, this command is. So we have to keep this grounding in mind when we hear we are going to get to what Jesus says. But this is, this is the, one of the foundations of uh, the Israelite covenant with God. Yeah. This is kind of off the subject, but I just like wonder where that leaves us today. Because... These are like supposedly God's words directly. Anyone that works on the Sabbath is to be put to death. So what does that mean for Christians today to work on Sundays? That's good. We'll get there. Um, that's that's kind of, I mean, and all throughout Matthew, we've been struggling with this idea of what role do the Old Testament commands play in, in the life of a New Testament believer now? And, and so that's that's the question we've been struggling with, and we'll, we'll definitely get there. Okay, Deuteronomy 5, last one, 5, 12 through 17. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So this one is very, even more similar to Exodus 20, which is, this is actually a, another version of the Ten Commandments, actually. But what's interesting here is the reasoning, instead of God rested on the seventh, is the remembrance of their bondage and slavery. And so one of the things that we have to remember that's deeply important uh, to the Sabbath and to the Israelite people is that they were in bondage to Egypt and worked every day, all day, so they, they never had a rest uh, at all. And so this was an extreme, I mean, this was an amazing blessing them to have a seventh day where there is no work. And so that, again, is part of the grounding into the importance of the Sabbath. Other scholars have talked about the Sabbath, and Roland DeVoe is one of the best for ancient, uh, ancient Israel, and just talks about the centrality of it. Uh, he even, they even call it so much to say it's a, basically a tithe on your life. Um, where you say, yeah, I'm going to give, I'm going to consecrate a day for the Lord and it is holy and, it, and I will rest on it and I will, you know, spend time in worship. They had different liturgies and all kinds of different things for Sabbath practice, but it was very important. One of the things, though, about the Sabbath is that it evolved in its importance and in what people did. 
Um, the Mishnah is basically the oral Torah. So rabbis begin to... So, so when you say rest, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't walk from here to there? Does that mean I can't pick up, you know, I can't pick up a rock? I can't do this? I mean, what, what, how does that play out? And so over the centuries, you have different rabbis who work together to say, okay, you can't walk, from, you can't walk more than a Sabbath journey, which is a certain distance. Uh, you can't heal. Um, if, if someone's not in danger, you cannot do the work to save them. If they're not imminent danger of death, I should say. Um, so they would have to go through with, well, if, it's just, if you're just hurt, then you know, we can't do the work to go and heal you. So you see that th- there's basically a development. And when the temple is destroyed, the Sabbath becomes even more central, right? Because you can't offer sacrifices. You can't do the things that they're supposed to be able to do. And so the Sabbath is even elevated more. So by the time of Jesus, the Sabbath has, has increased in, in what one cannot do. And it becomes even more and more legalistic. And so these are some of the things that, that play into what Jesus is talking about. Any other last questions or anything with the Sabbath? Build on what Modi said, how did, like, that, how did that work for non-Jewish? I, you know, I don't know. I think the aliens, w- they, would, they would give that to them as well. Because remember, this is a blessing. So sometimes in our context, we, we sit here and think like, oh man, like a rest, like you're going to make me not do something. And to them, we got to ground it in that slavery where they came from and the ancient world in general where <laughs> you don't get to rest from work if you're a slave or if you're low. So first, it's written just to the Israel community. I would assume, I honestly didn't read on this, but the aliens in the land would probably be given that because they're, they're either foreign slaves or, or something like that. So I would assume that they, they too practice that. So now, let's go back to the first nine verses and kind of examine what Jesus does here. Um, and what he says, and, and what we think about that. So the first two verses here um, basically set up the narrative. Um, so he's going, Jesus and his disciples are going through grain fields, and his disciples pick grain to eat. Now, many scholars say the word hungry there has been inserted by Matthew, kind of as a uh, justification for what they do. Okay, But either way, they're hungry, and they eat. And the Pharisees stop them and say, you are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are... Are correct. This is one of those 39 oral laws in, in the Mishnah that doesn't allow for picking grain. Okay? You cannot pick grain and eat on the Sabbath. Um, you're supposed to do all that stuff on, on the Friday before, and, and that's something you don't do. So they're, they're correct in saying, you know, you are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. All right? Jesus' response is to cite David. Did you not hear what David did in his company? They, you know, they enter the house of God and eat consecrated bread. That comes from 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. And so one of the things I actually don't want to read through all the texts, um, but what happens here is that Saul is chasing David, right? David is fleeing for his life at this time, and he is with his men, and they stop in at the priests and get food. So there's a big difference. What I'm trying to say is there's a big difference between David's situation, where he's fleeing from Saul's life, he has no food, they're literally, <laughs> they're literally hungry. I mean, maybe Matthew kind of ties in the disciples, but I don't know if it's, it probably is not as strong uh, as far as um, their need, uh, their extreme, their, you know, their imminent need as these people are with David. Um, and he and his men get food, okay? The second example um, is to the priests and that they are able, they offer sacrifices every Sabbath. So they're working, which is unlawful, okay? But again, 
this was something that was uh, an exception made for them because they are offering sacrifices which are for the people. And so basically they actually have an ability to do that without you know, breaking, um, breaking the commands. What do we think about Jesus' examples here? Are they good? Because he's using these two examples to say, you know, this is why my disciples are eating, because David did and his men, and because the priests are able to offer sacrifices. So do we think that's a good argument? Yeah. Why? Well, because, because David, you know, is a big deal, and he does it like, why shouldn't they be able to do that? I mean, it's not just like it's someone, just some random person they choose. It's someone that's a big deal. So you're saying Jesus has importance to do that then? Because the parallels with David, I mean, so, but, a, but a Pharisee is going to sit there and say, yeah, but that was David. He's going to use your argument in the reverse <laughs> to say, who are you to, you know, compare yourself with David, right? Because, I mean, the disciples are just walking around. They just pick some grain, you know, like, because there's a big difference between why David and his men eat that. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, even in response to that, that's why Jesus keeps going. Like, I tell you that one grain in the temple is here. Even though the Pharisees might not believe him, but at least, like, he realizes, yeah, like, David was important, and so he did this. I'm important, too. Like, better than all that. And so, yeah, but it seems like he's sort of setting up that, like, there, there's exceptions to these rules that were given to you. So maybe he's striking at the Mishnah then? I mean, rabbis came together to really work on those. You know, it wasn't just, you know, they just added stuff for no reason. Um, but, okay, so maybe he's taking a strike at the Mishnah. Okay. I think his argument, personally, I think you're right on. I believe the argument hinges on him. Like, I think his, otherwise, his examples aren't good. Because, honestly, there's, there's very little comparison between his disciples and their need for hunger and uh, the case that David was. Um, so I do believe that verses 6 through 8 hinge the argument, which is verse 6 is saying something greater than the temple is here. Um, now, this statement to unpack it a little bit needs to be done because Jesus is basically striking at the very core, again, of what it means to be a Jew. So he first strikes at the Sabbath and then is saying that the temple, something is greater than the temple. That's a blasphemous statement for a Jew. There is nothing greater than the temple because the temple is a place where you receive God's forgiveness. You bring sacrifices. The priests work for you and God's forgiveness is mediated through the sacrificial system, right? So, I mean, he is literally saying he is going to the heights of their religion. William Herzog, he looks at the social justice implications for why, one of the reasons why Jesus may have done this. One thought is that with the temple, um, at this time you're under Roman occupation, right? And so with that, the priests had to appease Rome, okay? They had, they had a very uh, intricate relationship with the Romans, um, who had obviously authority and, and power over them. And so at this time, he could be, what he's probably doing here is taking a strike at the temple system. Um, you have a system of tithing and taxes, right? So temple tax and Roman tax, okay? Temple tax was 15% and Roman tax was about 12 to 15% as well. So Jesus, being poor and in poverty, dealing with impoverished people, 
a 30% tax on people who don't make any money is extremely weighty, right? And so the only way, what they had to do was pay the Roman tax first, because if you don't, Rome will kill you. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And so they had to obviously pay that tax, and then they're left with the temple tax, which some could pay and most couldn't, because they wouldn't be able to feed themselves. The problem with that is under the temple system, if you do not pay your temple tax, you are deemed ritually unclean, and you are not allowed to offer sacrifices. And so ultimately what you have is this system of God's forgiveness, which the whole Old Testament sets up is that you would offer sacrifices and receive forgiveness. You can't anymore. If you're ritually unclean, you cannot offer sacrifices, and thus your relationship with God is destroyed. And so what he could be striking at here is how the temple system has been totally turned upside down. And verse 7 also adds on to that because he says, um, is it? so if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's from Hosea 6.6. 6. And the idea is not to say that the sacrificial system is, is bad. Um, it's, a big, it's a deeper thing that God's mercy and love is worth more than that. And that you Pharisees, you who control the temple, have totally undermined what the temple is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be so that people can receive God's forgiveness and have relationship, and yet you are trumping, you know, you are not looking at the poverty here. That's where that rigid Pharisaic legalism, that's what Jesus seems to be striking at here. So would Jesus agree that the Sabbath, you shouldn't work? And he's just disagreeing with their definition of work? Or is he actually saying... No, because I'm here, those rules are off right now because the temple system is upside down and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's trying to overthrow all of the Sabbath. I think Monique's right with some of the reinterpretation. So in the scriptures, I mean, we have a few stories of Jesus kind of pushing into the Sabbath. There doesn't seem to be, at least in my reading, there doesn't seem to be anything where he's saying get rid of the Sabbath. You know, totally do away with this. He seems to be critiquing it. And he's definitely redefining what it means to work. You know, there definitely seems to be something like that. But I think he's taking a strike at the temple system. And he's not overthrowing, the reason I say he's not overthrowing the temple system is that the whole sacrificial system is something that he ultimately fulfills, right? I mean, in Christian theology, what we see as the cross, one of the central metaphors is a sacrifice, is, is that he, plays, he is going to fulfill the ultimate sacrifice and then end the sacrificial system. So I don't think, at least at this time yet, he's going to do that. Now, I think ultimately, obviously, we as Christians believe that you know, the sacrificial system is now fully complete. And yeah. So were the Pharisees following him around, or were they just happened to be around when this happened? <laughs> yeah, those are one of those funny things. You know, like, that's, that's part of the narration of the Bible. The Pharisees are just like there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean there isn't really anything. I, I don't know. I mean, ultimately... That's kind of just the narrative framework that the Pharisees are there. And so, yeah, they almost, I mean, we don't know. I mean, obviously, they're kind of in a countryside or, or something, you know, in a field. And apparently, the Pharisees are there. I mean, it's, it's one thing that scholars, critical scholars will look at. Like, what are the Pharisees even doing there? Like, why aren't, they in, why aren't they by the synagogues? And so you'll have different people even argue the Pharisees couldn't have even been there. So, but the next one is at the synagogue. So we'll kind of, that's just the narrative framework. Okay. Um, okay, and we've hit on verse 8 a little bit. So, for the Son of Man is, is Lord of the Sabbath. And so, again, I really look at those three verses, 6 through 8. He seems to hinge his whole argument on that. Is that, one, there's somebody greater here, and I, you know, these seem to be indirect references to himself. 
that mercy is greater than sacrifice. And so they are, uh, you know, if you're putting them on a scale, they have, they've put the wrong, they've given sacrifice too much weight and not enough to mercy. So going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shrivel hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So again, in the top, verse 9, we have the narrative setting. So he goes into their synagogue. And there's a couple ways to read there. So one, you could say, remember those Pharisees from the last one, it might be their synagogue. Like, so we might have a story that links the, the groups of Pharisees into the, being the same people. Now, we also have to remember that Matthew kind of writes thematically. So these might be two totally separate things. Another way of reading there is in a critical sense of maybe Jesus is distancing himself from the synagogue. Maybe that's that strike at the temple again saying, well, it's their synagogue, you know, in quotation sort of thing. Like, I'm no longer a part of that system. So those are some of the plays on that word. But this time it is Jesus causing the problem, right? Disciples are not at fault. Jesus is the one healing here. And so again, they bring up the idea, they set a trap for him, right? Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they ask this question. So they even kind of corner him. So maybe, maybe he's not looking for trouble and they kind of bring it upon him. Either way, they ask. So he sets up a rhetorical question. If you are going to allow for people to save a sheep or some other form of animal, why not a human being? Yeah. Just a question on that. Is that something that they redeem so this is another one that is explicitly mentioned in the oral Torah. Uh, there's also Qum, the Qumran, which is uh, the Essenes, who kind of, they're, they're the strictest, even more strict than the Pharisees. They actually also have a, um, they say you cannot get uh, a sheep out of a pit, um, any animal out of a pit. You just leave it there. You can throw food in, but you can't pull it out. Um, now, but the commentators have also said at this time, n besides the Essenes, people are a little bit more lenient. And that's why he's able to use this argument against them. So it is in the oral Torah, but they're usually more lenient. I mean, otherwise this argument has no power. The reason it has power is because they should be sitting there going, oh yeah, we, we would pull a sheep out. Like, we're not going to just let it die. Do you think that them plotting on how they might kill Jesus was in reference to this law that says if you don't rest in the Sabbath, you're going to be put to death? Like, this was... Right, I mean, at this time, I mean, there's no doubt that this section is in the narrative. It's kind of moving the plot forward, right? What we're going to see is Jesus coming into more and more controversy. So I don't know if they're trying to literally, oh, you've done something on the Sabbath, we're going to kill you right now. But they are trying to cause some serious issues with them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm understanding that through the Exodus scriptures where it says, it's mainly saying work, mm -hmm. but that's all it says. So I think right. through human interpretation, then they kind of twisted it to mean all this other stuff. And then Jesus is kind of being like, look, you know what? Like, this isn't like laboring work. This is more of things that are more that we need to do that are different than laboring work. But in another sense, so God says don't do work. What does that mean? I mean, because even in this room, like if we were to try to say, to, what, what does it mean to do no work? So what if your job is playing a sport 
or, or doing music. I mean, w would they have considered that work? Do, do we consider that work? I mean, the, the point of, of the oral Torah was they are wanting to follow exactly what God says. So what does it mean to work? Then they sit here and add these, you know, it ends up being 39, say this is what it means to work. This is what it means to work. This, you know, so there is a sense that it's extremely legalistic, which is what he gets mad at. And at the same time, I can, I can side with the rabbis and say, yeah, we, we need to understand what work means because if, if working is walking a mile, I don't want to mock a mile. Like, I don't want to be put to death. I don't want to be cut off from the community. Like, let, let's stay here. So they're working at figuring that out. Yeah. I was just looking at when the Pharisees asked if it's lawful to be on the Sabbath. That's kind of puzzling for me that they asked that question because, first of all, they must have, like, expected either Jesus was going to heal the man or that someone is going to heal them. And second of all, if they were expecting that Jesus was maybe going to heal them, then they would have known that he's powerful and that he's going to heal. So it right. seems a little puzzling that they would even pose that question and then question like if he even question Jesus if they, if they already expect that he's powerful to heal the it's a great observation. It assumes that he can heal. Absolutely. I think it might also be a little loose on interpretation. Because it said back in Exodus, don't heal. That may be interpreted as don't like treat people if they're wounded. That's So one of the oral laws explicitly is if they are not going to die, if this doesn't threaten their life, you, it is not lawful to heal them. You wait till the next day. But other than that, you, you don't treat a patient. Yeah. With such a huge, like, you will be put to death or you will be cut off in the kingdom if you work on the Sabbath, but I'm not going to tell you what, what work means. Right. It doesn't make sense to me unless God expected it to be something very simple and they were overanalyzing it and like, whatever you do for a living, don't do it. Relax. Like. Or maybe God you know, gives us the ability to, to figure some of these things out in community, right? I mean, isn't that why ever since you know all of church history is people figuring out what, what does this thing mean and so we can tell other people what it means you know what i mean i think that's part of the messiness of 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 language and and you know trying to work through it together so i mean yeah it's a it's a great question um i just ultimately think that m maybe god gives us authority to figure out what it means and and i mean we as christians tend to look at the old testament and say those laws you know those, those weren't needed or or like i mean for thousand for a few thousand years at least People are abiding these, saying this is how we maintain right relationship with God. We do need to follow these to the T. It's not a, eh, you know, you pick some, you, you pick some others, you know, you do whatever. Like, we now sit here and look back and say, yeah, Jesus really kind of changed that whole idea. So to them, I mean, th I think it just explains why the controversy is there. If, you, if, you were, if this weren't that big of a deal, they wouldn't have cared. And they wouldn't have tried to, you know, trap him in all these different things. And, and what's interesting, just to complete, is that in the Mark, in, the Mark account of this, he makes a, there's a great sentence. The Sabbath was made for humans and not humans for the Sabbath. So regardless of the legalism, what he's saying here is, look, I didn't make you to just so that you have to worship the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you. So and I, think, I think that's really the point that he's trying to get at here. Is it's not a, you, 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 you have misplaced the priority onto the Sabbath instead of you. I'd agree with that. That's great. Yeah. It's a touching point to my heart, but it's like, how do you deal with like the death aspect of it? Like when you deal with death and it's like, you'll be put to death. If you don't, 
then I think that's where it gets legalistic is because people go, well, we don't want to die, so what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean this or it doesn't mean that. And so they try to, like, do the best they can to try to keep it as holy as they can. I just don't understand why there's still a serious weight on that and why the scriptures would say be put to death, you know? Uh, just one response. It's not that God actually said that you'll be put to death. Okay, there's, there's, te there, are, there are texts and things that are inserted by us, is what I'm saying. Okay. So that even then, that, that, that's not clear whether or not God actually said that. One way to look at that is not to say, oh, well, God said that, now let's figure it out. It, that might not be the case. But I'm going to take the other view, which is yeah. God did say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that view. Let's assume, let's assume God said that. But I still think that Jesus is striking out against the interpretation of that. And the reason I think that is because when he starts to woe the Pharisees later in Matthew, he uses two woes that are pretty instructive. One of them is he says, woe, because they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So he's talking about actually the law becoming harder than it was intended, kind of like what Jeremy pointed out from Mark about the Sabbath being created that way so that it's to benefit, like you use the gift. They had interpreted it to the point that it became a burden. And it's interesting that this chapter 12 falls right after the chapter 11 that we covered last week, where he says, come to me, those who are heavy burden. And he's it's like goes right into it. So he's showing an example of laws that have become heavy burden. He also woes them later. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor do you let those who are who want to enter try to, you know, to get in as well. And again, it's the same thing. Like you've interpreted the law, you put it in such a place that nobody can do this anymore, not even you, and you've prevented them who wanted to try to do it. So it seems like he's got there's textual support for it. he has an objection to how tough they've made it. And maybe that's part of what's going on. Okay. I feel like Jesus Along with the Sabbath also addressing something deeper than that, I think he's addressing good and evil. Pharisees, as he was saying, you know, they put a lot of burden on people and then these laws, and they don't even help the people under, you know, help them fulfill these laws. And along with that, they, they're rich, powerful, and they don't help the poor. They just let the poor fall into the pit and they don't help them out. And they're also justifying themselves with the Sabbath so that they don't have to do anything about the person. And Jesus is saying, it is lawful to do good, especially on the Sabbath. And a human is more, much more valuable than a sheep. And you would take the sheep out of the pit. Why don't you do anything for a person? All right. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what he's getting at, obviously. That, that statement, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, brings up that idea of this goodness, this, this wholeness should, should trump uh, these very legalistic statements. And so we, we've been kind of getting to that point the whole time. Uh, it's difficult because, again, what does the word good mean? I mean, aren't there a lot of good things? Uh, how, how does one know what, what's good enough to trump some of these things? You know, I mean, again, it brings up that interpretive idea of, you know, how do we, how do we take these words and, 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 and do something with them? 
Jesus follows this, obviously, with, with the miracle story, and it's, and it's an interesting miracle story in the sense that it's one sentence, you get no response from anyone else other than the Pharisees. I mean, the man doesn't say anything. It's basically like a second note to, to what's going on, his, his controversy, and the plot is furthered by his ending with, you know, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And so Matthew leaves it saying, you know, he's pushing the, the plot forward and saying, you know, there's, there's going to be more controversy happening in the future. Just wondering how this applies to us, because basically what we've been doing the whole time here tonight is looking at, okay, so these laws were extremely legalistic. Jesus clearly reinterprets some certain things. He may take strikes at the temple. Either way, he's saying that, that you guys have misunderstood. You've added burdens to the law, and you forgot the idea that goodness and, and mercy should trump uh, these, these minuscule things. But what does it mean for us today who do we even have a Sabbath? One of the things that's interesting is that Jesus assumes that this is, this is normal, that, that people are actually trying to Sabbath. So what does that mean for us in, in the 21st century who, you know, are we workaholics? Are we people who actually take rest? Um, are we people who set aside a day or a portion or, or some sort of thing? Like, I don't want to be legalistic as they were to say, this is what you have to do in order to have a good Sabbath. But we don't do anything, Right. Does anyone have any like set practices that they do on a weekly basis? Like that idea of consecrating a day to God? Do we even do that? Yeah. Well, I kind of wonder, I mean, are we supposed to set the entire day to doing things? Or is, you know, taking a Saturday and mowing the yard, is that what that means? Right. I mean, that's the same. Those are those reasons for those 39 laws, right? Like, can I mow my lawn? Uh, am I able to do the laundry? Is that allowed? So I don't think, I don't really want to go down that road of... In, in our work week, you know, a lot of times we work five days a week, take Saturday off, and Sunday we do church. And that may very well be an extremely... I mean, well, one, there are jobs that don't have those days off, right? I mean, there are some jobs. Now, most of us here in this room do not have them, and so we're thankful for days off. So that's one. I, I just, there are some certain things that I do, um, just as far as trying to be... Uh, restful in a, in a more intentioned way or more, you know, sitting there saying, yeah, I, I want to enter into this idea of a rest. And so I, I personally, I, I put it around myself, like what are restful practices for me? You know, what are something like, at least in this life, I, I do a lot of schoolwork right now. And so on, on my Sabbath day, I, I don't pick up a book for my reading. I, I don't do that because Normally, I would say reading is a great thing to do, uh, but for me, it's something that I have to do hours upon each day. And so that's one of these things that I try my best to make a commitment of. I don't do homework on one day a week. Like, and so, like I said, I don't have these, these set things, and, it, and I'm not saying that that's going to be your rest or anything like that. But, but I do think we should consider this idea of the Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing, and we need to do something to get away from what we, you know, those things that we have to do. Yeah, Phil. I'm not sure like, what is the goal or the purpose of the Sabbath if it is just to be restful. So, I mean, like, I mean, then I can just be lazy and like, shoot, I'm doing the Sabbath all the time. We get two days off a week. <laughs> or is it something that we're supposed to be like focused on, okay, well, I'm like, Benson, like, like focused on God in some way. Or is it can't just be like, hey, I'm watching TV for like the whole day. Preach it, bro. <laughs> yeah. But what's the purpose? Yeah. Um, you know, I had, you know, I have one seminary professor who just said, you know, if you're not willing, 
his, he, his statement was, if you're not willing to, to rest from, from whatever it is you do for one day, or even if it's you know, a night to a morning and then you, you're able, it does, a 24-hour block, you might want to wonder if you're worshiping your work, you know, whatever you're doing, if, if you're allowing it to have too much authority in your life. I think you bring up the good point, like is wasting away watching TV? No, it's probably not the greatest thing to do. I think there are certain practices. I mean, to me, a Sabbath should have maybe, maybe more prayer in it or maybe more reading of scriptures, something that, that is, it, for them, it was a day consecrated to God. You know, I mean, so it was extremely focused on, uh, you know, whether it's getting your family around the table and having those type of conversations uh, about the Lord and different things like that. Yeah, I, I think it should be set as not just, hey, do whatever, and that's great. I think there's just kind of just like a comment on the human condition, because like the Lord knows that we're going to get burnt out, especially right. in those days the way people worked. So maybe the death clause was just like to make sure they did it, how serious he was, because I think it's like saying that all human beings deserve a rest because they're human, regardless of Jewish or not. Because it says the servants even, the slaves, like they were commanded to allow a human being to have a moment to like relax and let their bodies recuperate. And I think that's more like what it's about, you know. And even now, slave labor or corporations that do all these things and make people work like day in, day out, like it's wrong. And like I've, it's been a long time since I was an actual practicing Jew, really long time. But from what I can remember, like, Shabbat was like Friday night, Shabbat, it was like this little time with your family, you did the ceremony, and then Saturday was like maybe temple, and like that was it. I don't ever remember it being like, yeah. okay, it is now officially the Sabbath, you must pray all day long. It wasn't like that at all. Yeah. Like, and on that, I mean, Paul has some... <laughs> Paul has some specific things where, again, he's trying to unite Gentiles and Jews. And so he says some similar things to Jesus in the sense of not being too legalistic. Romans 14, 5-8, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And he keeps going. So basically what he's saying, though, is... It doesn't matter if your day is Sunday or if it's Tuesday or if it's Wednesday. Those things don't matter. And part of why he's saying this is because you have Jews arguing against Gentiles saying they have to do this on this day or else they're not really Christian. They're not a part of this whole thing. And you're talking about rest. Like we're talking about rest. And Phil's question is like, well, what kind of rest do I need? Jesus has just finished saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke, because it's easy as it compared to the Pharisees, which is heavy and burdensome. So even in his statements about rest or Sabbath and those kinds of ideas, I think that we recognize, if I were to say, Sabbath rest is rest that is consecrated, like you said, set aside so that we can dwell and abide in Christ. That's like the rejuvenation we need, not like a massage and a spa treatment. <laughs> Well, that would be good, but like the, and, and, and maybe sometimes it is just being quiet. I'm not saying you have to spend all day praying and reading the Bible, but that rest apart from Jesus is just a day off. It's not really true Sabbath rest. I'd say, I mean, part of what the Sabbath is grounded in is that, obviously, I mean, the Jews were not sitting there, you know, one day a week we pay attention to God and the rest we don't. It's supposed to be that this day is a heightened sense of what that means, a, a, a whole day consecrate, you know, I mean, um, it should be above and beyond, you know, I, I love what John, you know, said right there. I mean, to have that day that's more focused, more whatever, um, that is seeking after God. I wonder if, if part of it is like, you know, in your day-to-day life, you can't always just put 
push everything off your plate and just like dwell and just absorb. I mean, it would be great because but maybe those are the times where you're supposed to experience God through all your day-to-day -day activities. And I, I don't know, but maybe the Sabbath is a day where you're allowed to kind of push off those things and just be with him solely. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear Christian teaching that, uh, you know, what we're supposed to think, say, and do is all supposed to speak of God. And, um, you know, Colossians has that great, you know, statement, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord, right? And, and so, yeah, I think you guys hit on great points, and that's important. I think we're just focusing specifically on the Sabbath. And then, you know, Colossians 1, 16, 17, same sort of thing. Uh, you know, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't be too, folk, don't be too legalistic on what it means to figure out that Sabbath, you know. So there, are, there is a difference, a clear difference that Jesus began and that Paul continues as far as what it means to Sabbath. In two weeks, I think in our, our Bible study, we may be actually diving in a little bit more with the Sabbath as well on, on what we do and 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 how that works out. So any last questions, thoughts, anything? Great. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you. God, we praise you for uh, this teaching. God, I know it's, uh, we talked about very intricate things tonight, and I know some of that gets slow or, or difficult or, or even tedious. Um, God, but we thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for that rest that you invite us into. Um, God, I know that so often I, I miss out on that and, and I'm not going to you very uh, specifically and really trying to do that in even a more focused and more powerful way, God. So we ask that you would show us how to Sabbath well, um, that we wouldn't be bogged down by legalistic things, that we remember that, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath and that it was made for our enjoyment, for us to rest. God, so we praise you. Uh, we just ask your blessing on the rest of the evening, Lord. In your name, amen.